This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen. To him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. The story begins innocently enough. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to a mountainside for a quiet moment of prayer. But then, like a Salvador Dali painting, the mundane contours of just another day with Jesus explode into a scene of spectacular surrealism. His dingy cloak suddenly becomes whiter than the whitest snow. The familiar face, features of his face have a new radiance. But it must have been the appearance of Elijah and Moses out of thin air that really got the disciples' heads spinning. They can only overhear bits and pieces of the conversation, something about Jerusalem, death, destiny, departure. The disciples don't fully grasp what they are witnessing, but they know enough to want to cling to Jesus and his friends, to capture this divine interruption into their dreary lives by making homes for their holy visitors. But that's not the plan. The intimacy of this strange conversation among three prophetic figures is ominously overshadowed by darkening skies. And then from out of, out of nowhere comes the voice, <clears throat> the voice that sets Jesus apart from others singling him out, not merely as another prophet, but as the Son, the Chosen One. Just like at his baptism. But the voice adds something. The voice says, listen to him. And then just like that, it's over. Let's confess our bewilderment. We moderns don't know what to do with this text. Does this purport to be a literal account of an historical event? Is it the report of a dream or a vision? Or is this merely a poetic and imagined interlude in Mark's gospel designed to teach us some theological truths about who Jesus is? This last reading, as metaphor, is the one favored by many contemporary biblical scholars, uncomfortable as they are with the truly miraculous. 
To read the Transfiguration text as allegory is surely a safer, less threatening course. On this view, the text tells a rather tidy lesson. Moses stands for the law, Elijah stands for the prophets, and Jesus, of course, is the Messiah. By naming Jesus as my son, the chosen, God thus sets Christ over the law and the prophets and teaches us that a new covenant has been established. These words also remind us of Jesus' baptism when this same voice came from the heavens, declaring Jesus to be God's beloved. But this time, as we heard, the voice adds this critical phrase, listen to him, letting Peter, James, and John know in no uncertain terms that they are now to be followers. And perhaps most importantly, we learn that the purpose of such mountaintop experiences is not just for the fun of it, but rather to strengthen us for the climb back down the mountain into the mayhem of the world toward Golgotha, where the real work and sacrifice remains to be accomplished. Now, for all I know, this metaphorical reading of the text may well be what Jesus or Mark or God means for us to get from this strange reading. But it's important to note that the text itself does not say any of these things, and that to read it as mere metaphor domesticates the words we're given. On its own terms, this is a wild and unruly story, one that describes a scene that is so beyond ordinary human experience that it leaves most of us flummoxed. Perhaps the most honest line in today's text is where Mark comments, and Peter did not know what to say, for they were all terrified. I'm not sure that we know what to say. But it's important to note that Mark is not the only New Testament writer to tell this story. Both Matthew and Luke have their own versions of this same strange encounter. And there is also a fourth account of the Transfiguration in St. Peter's second epistle, one that has less visual detail, but that is quite emphatic about what happened. In Peter's words, we ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with Jesus on the mountain. The fact that four different New Testament writers tell this story, each in his own way, says to me two things. One, we should pay attention. And two, that this is not just theological commentary, but rather that something profound occurred that day, something quite real, even if ultimately mysterious. It's hard to say exactly what, except perhaps to say that on that day and in that moment, God's world and ours somehow bumped into each other. As you've heard me say before, we call these collisions between the divine and the human liminal spaces. The idea of liminal space, of the interlocking relationship between heaven and earth, runs throughout the Gospels. From beginning to end, Jesus' core proclamation is that God's kingdom is not some distant and future reality, some other place. But God's kingdom is, in some very real sense, already here, if we only look at it through the eyes of faith. 
The fancy term they teach us in seminary about this is called realized eschatology. There's one for you. But it just means that God's kingdom is simultaneously future, it's not yet, and it's present here. It's both at the same time. Poets, artists, musicians, sages, children, and some wise old people understand this. They see God's fingerprints in the world. For most of us, though, we're so busy making ends meet and just getting through the day that we usually miss the glory that lurks within the mundane. Such liminal moments can humble and astound. Maybe you've had an experience of this kind, but then, again, maybe you haven't. God comes to us in all sorts of ways, I've learned. Sometimes he comes in the drama of a vision or a powerful experience, like the transfiguration. But perhaps more often he shows up in the small miracles of our day, the brightening face of a child, the soft and subtle movements of a couple standing barefoot on the beach, watching the waves roll in, the spontaneous smile of a lonely old woman surprised by the visit of a long-lost friend. Now, Lutherans by nature, I've come to learn, tend to be skeptical of so, such so-called natural theology, that is, finding God in nature and in ordinary things, insisting, rather, that it is on the cross, in times of weakness and vulnerability, that God is most reliably present, and I'm with you. I think that's true. And the transfiguration story teaches that God can also show up in more ordinary times, on walks with friends in the mountains, for example. Every once in a while, often when we're least expecting it, we are allowed to see something that is so touching so incandescent, so alive, that the experience transfigures both what we see and who we are. I'm convinced something like this that day happened on the holy mountain to Peter, James, and John. The historians can say what they will about the story. To me, what matters is this. These three men suddenly saw Jesus in a new way, in a way that would change their lives forever. They sensed his kinship with the great prophets like Moses and Elijah, yet they also could see that Jesus belonged to God like no other. But perhaps more than all these things, the disciples knew now that come what may, they were called to listen to this man. They wouldn't do so Always, of course. <laughs> we'll learn that. And at times they would fail miserably. But they could no longer pretend that they hadn't heard God's urgent invitation. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. The transfiguration story is thus a perfect text for making the transition from Epiphany to Lent 
or it equips us to follow Jesus towards the cross by assuring us that even in the midst of a dark, warring, and increasingly insane world, God is with us in the radiant glory of the sun. One of the gifts of the upcoming season of Lent is that it invites us to stop, to reflect, and to ask ourselves whether we are being truly attentive to the transfiguring work of Christ in our lives and in the world. So as we prepare our hearts for this Lenten journey, my prayer for us is this. Lord Jesus, pull back the veil of ignorance and unbelief that blinds us to your glorious truth. Dispel our fears. Raise us up out of despair. And then send us back down the mountain to be your agents of transfiguring love so that through us you might heal all who are hurting, bring peace to a violent world, make whole all that is broken, and renew the spirits of all who have lost hope. We pray these things for your love's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.